Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm very, very lucky and pleased to be joined by Asha Tuller. Welcome. Thank you, Ash. I thought you were going to say this week an inspiring person was not available. <laughs> But here's Asha Tala. <laughs> Absolutely the opposite, and the, and the comedy starts immediately off the bat. I'll give the customary introduction uh, for Ash, who's got an incredibly uh, impressive track record. Um, Ash uh, is the MD of Rough Cut Productions, a TV and film uh, production company. Uh, Ash is a producer and a writer uh, as well, uh, has won uh, an Emmy Award, a Golden Globe, five BAFTAs. Uh, probably best known for his uh, his work uh, with The Office, with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant and others, uh, but subsequently has followed that with an absolute roller coaster of hits, including the IT crowd, Cuckoo, People Just Do Nothing, Corrupt FM, People Just Do Nothing, uh, and uh, and the latest Stath Let's Flats. I have to say that really carefully. It's quite hard to Stath say. Stath Let's Flats, yeah. Stath Let's. Well, yeah. you can say it first. Channel Four said, "Don't call it that. Nobody can get their tongue around it," and they were right. Yeah, and you it's called a, it that anyway. Yeah, yeah thanks. You're right. Let's do it. Well, Stath Let's Flats is worth a mention because it's just been. Uh, well, it's been nominated for uh, two BAFTAs. Yes, right, yeah, it's our sort of latest show. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Ash and his company produced for basically all of the big British uh, public service broadcasters, BBC, Channel Four, ITV, etc. Uh, also in the US, HBO and Amazon and, and many others. Uh, born in Cairo, grew up in the UK in various different parts of the UK. Um, if we're lucky, we might hear a few accents coming out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, studied business and finance at the University of Bath and uh, started out actually in, in business before falling into the TV world and we'll talk about that. Uh, went on to, uh, to, to be the head of comedy at uh, Talkback Thames which is uh, part of the Fremantle media empire and has really been in comedy uh, I guess all of your professional career in, in TV and film. Uh, We'll talk about the latest project, which is super interesting and coming out soon, and I'll keep that a, a surprise for now. Um, what an amazing uh, track record. It's been a busy time. It's been a busy time. Hellishly busy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those businesses that you just, um, well, I'm sure you know, you don't, you're not allowed to rest in anything, and I think in TV, and I mean, you really can fall off the radar pretty quickly, yeah. and come back on the radar right. pretty quickly. So there's. So that got to keep moving, got to keep innovating. Yeah, I think that CV is a result of like a restlessness that yeah. is absolutely required to yeah. sort of stay around. Well, the first piece of restlessness, and, and uh, you know, it's a notable uh, thing. You, you were in business and finance, you know, at University of Bath, and then you were a, I think, a stockbroker or currency trader. Yeah. And of course, as you do after that, you get into TV. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? It's funny, it's a, it's a real sort of lesson to me and you know, now that I'm a father in terms of like encouraging your kids to do something and then not sort of sense checking it and fact checking it, which I don't think I really did for myself, but I always sort of assumed that I would have a job in business just because I was interested in it. I was, when I was growing up, it was just when the stock market became kind of deregulated. So in the, in the, in the 80s in England, all those kind of people in stripy shirts shouting into telephones, driving Porsches, everyone kind of going, yeah, you know, my window cleaner 
won't come around next week because he got a job in the city and he's now a millionaire and you know you'd see all these kind of guys and I thought well I can shout and I can <laughs> hold the phone and I, I, I honestly I really didn't kind of uh, interrogate it much more than that yeah so I, I kind of built my sort of education into becoming a stockbroker yeah. and a currency trader with the one black spot which is I'm not that great at math I'm just not okay which might be a problem if you're it's currency trading and stockbroking. It's right? a huge problem. It's yeah. a huge problem. So how did it work out? You were well, it didn't. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I got so far on sort of um, on my own goodwill and my own self confidence, and I got sort of yeah, I did a business degree, but I, you know, I think the writing was on the wall because within my business degree, my modules were all like marketing, business psychology, you know, advertising, yeah. not accountancy right. you know trading and kind of that stuff so I was taking like the soft business yeah. modules where I was pretty good because they're works essentially and yeah. much but you know when you sort of meet the stock market you know I got I got a graduate training job in the city and I managed to pass the first sets of exams because they were you know again softly softly but you know when you meet that stuff it's it's numbers it's hardcore it's hardcore and it's pacey yeah and you're sitting on desks with you know boys and girls who are super bright at maths yeah you know doing numbers in their heads and, and trading and calculating that is their thing yeah. and that is what the job is and so you sort of very quickly go oh right shit i don't i'm not <laughs> You know, I'm I'm hanging in there. So I did, so I did it for a couple of years, and the only solace I sort of take from it was I clocked it. I was sort of being able to, and it, and it was a strange moment because you clocked it. It wasn't your thing, and yeah. yeah, and I and not only was it not for me, I I wasn't for them. You know, again, it's a ruthless yeah. world, and I had really good personal relationships, but just. It was like he's like in, in a relationship with a man or a woman and you look at each other and kind of go we're just not quite right for each other right <laughs> we can just let this go and is that what happened did you have that conversation with yeah your at the time? i did i did and i think everyone was just like oh we really want it to work and i really wanted it to work because i planned it so yeah. much and they really wanted it to work because i think they you know they liked me and i was sort of you know uh, all right to have around but yeah i just knew that you know but it's quite weird having that conversation with yourself when I was about 23 I mean I often say it was like a midlife crisis it was a conversation that normally is when people like now my age our age kind of go well oh, I've wasted my career yeah I sort of had that moment very in a well, real lucky, way lucky you yeah I yeah. agree so did you have anything to go to when you had this conversation this sort of parting of the ways I, I really didn't and that you know, again, you sort of look back on the naivety or the overconfidence of youth or just the... Courage. The courage, and I guess you don't have, didn't have responsibilities and, yep. didn't, you know, I had a, a kind father who was super disappointed that I wanted to do it, but I just had this thing about working in television, which is sort of the opposite, you know, the opposite. Well, so where did this come from? Because that's such a different world. What, where was the passion? I used to watch chat shows and think um it's to watch chat shows and wish i was doing the interviewing which i was in your seat and i used to watch comedy you know when i was young and always make notes in my head about what was wrong with it not yeah. i mean not that anyone was asking my opinion i was just giving it to myself and so i just thought you know and i was the funny-ish one in my class and that kind of stuff and 
I just kind of used to think I had this instinct for what I thought might be funny. Yeah. But really beyond that, you know, working in television is no is is about as broad as saying I want to work in um, IT. Right. You know, I want to work in so many different flavors. You know, so I don't really yeah. know what. But I started to write letters to people at the BBC. Yeah. In a very persistent manner, shall we say? How many letters did you write? Well, I, I, it, I used to write a lot of letters, and 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 I used to get a lot of rejection letters, and that's yeah. that's pretty standard. But do you remember what you said in the letters? I mean, I just used to, you know, I would probably cringe if I would, but I would just, you know, you know, you just sort of ask for, you know, plead for half an hour of somebody's time. But people used to ask me, well, what, you know, what. What do you want to do? And I didn't really know. And they used to say, understandably, they used to say, well, you know, did you do like college radio? Did you used to write for your local magazine? Right. Did you, you know, what? Show us some signs. Searching for some nuggets. Right. Past, yeah. And I used to say, no, I read business. I was a failed stockbroker, and yeah. I don't really have any um, thing to bring to you except um, maybe too much self belief and 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 a willingness to work hard. Um, and you know what, what I eventually did was you know and, and anyone watching this who wants to get into TV a good trick is you you look at the credits of the shows that come up yeah. and just you know and, and start to write to individuals right maybe the people so you were writing to directors or producers producers or, yeah. yeah and not necessarily to people who are right at the top because mm. everyone writes to them mm. but you know if you sort of go a little bit more you can flatter people a little bit. Right. More easily. And yeah. I sort of, sort of always say to people now, like, if you want to write to me, don't write to me. I don't read anything. Write to the people at my company who, and, you know, and kind of go, oh, I saw your name on the show and I really like that show. And, you know, so look, I, I eventually did that. And, and after, um, the first thing I actually ended up doing was working for BBC Business News. Right. Uh, writing market reports overnight. So some connection at least Correct. with the finance world. Yeah, that, so that, that was my first bit of sort of connect, connective tissue. Yeah. But I eventually ended up doing work experience in, in, in the factual department and, yeah. and within an organisation like the BBC, once you get your foot in the door, it's about trying to stay in the ring. Yeah, amazing opportunity and what a, a you know, a progressive uh, organisation to uh, to answer those emails. And thank you, by the way, for responding to my email. <laughs> I did respond to your email. Do you remember how we met, by the way? I was at uh, a few glasses of red wine down. So at, was I. At a dinner. <laughs> Would that be right? Yeah. That's Is that right, your yeah. recollection? That's my recollection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we met. Wonderful a, restaurant in a, East London. In a boozy sort of dinner. Shared table. Yeah, and, that's and right. And we just happened to be at the same table. That's right. That's all had it was. a great was. chat. That's, we had a great chat. <laughs> and now I've got a million shares in Google. <laughs> I didn't expect the stock options from you. That was really kind. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was super generous. Well, we're very yeah. proud of our, our, our stock performance there on that last. Gosh, you threw me off there. Yeah, I did. You were like, have I? Yeah. <laughs> no, you haven't. But you were drunk. Yeah. You should. Uh, you wrote it on a napkin. Oh, did I? Yeah, you did. Okay. That's all right. Still got the napkin. It's on camera now. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> very good. I'll better deliver on those options Thank there. you. Okay, so you were at BBC and you started in business. And, and what led you into comedy? Yeah, I, I, I ended up, you know, kind of to keep the story uh, short and manageable, I ended up working for a lady who, as a researcher, and she said to me, you know, this is fine, but actually I can see that not only do you want to work in the comedy department, but I, I think you might be good at that. Yeah. And she essentially called the head of comedy for me, you know, and said... You know, good at that in the sense of 
writing or performing? I started or? writing. Yeah. I started writing. There's, you know, Time Out magazine in London. I used to write a little column in them just about nightclubs or parties that I'd been to or, or they, you know, and I would send them to them and they actually started to print them. Right. And they were kind of comedic in angle and so she would read a few of those and said, you know, you should, I used to write comedy sketches. Again, yeah. nobody had asked me, I would just write them. So she got me a meeting with um, the head of comedy at the BBC and not only that, but in those days, I mean, I know money's much tighter everywhere these days, but the department that she ran said that they would pay my salary for three months for me to work in comedy, like a secondment. So the head of comedy for the BBC couldn't really say no, because I was coming free, free yeah. for a few months. And that was it really. And, and I think from, the, from that moment on, it, you know. What a break. It was a great break, number one. And You're number still in touch with the, the people? Yeah, yes, yeah, John Plowman, who, who was a super famous producer in comedy, you know, uh, he, you know he worked with um, uh, French and Saunders, and you know, he's done The Fast Show, and you know, he's a yeah. really well-known guy. Um, and, I, you know, what I'd say about that is it, it's the first time, you know, after all that story about the city and working in you know bits and pieces and it's a bit more of a painful story than I painted it took a, a long time it was the first time that I landed up doing something that I actually thought I'm I'm good at this right and you were writing I was sort of junior producing and reading sketches and script editing I yeah. think you would call it okay um but I felt for the first time at home yeah and very at home right and you know it, there's nothing like the moment where sort of man and machine or you know your heart and your brain click with a career yeah and it's a relief especially after getting out of bed in the morning and wanting to get into work yeah wanting yeah. to get into work and feeling that people wanted you to be at that work and also kind of thinking you know you really only need to be good at one thing in this world and I think it's really worth trying to find what that thing is yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, going back to the, without sounding melancholy, going back to that kind of midlife crisis thing, you meet a lot of people, uh, you know, who say their biggest regret is they've spent, you know, and life is precious and yeah. they've spent 15, you know, they get to my age, mid 40s, late 40s, and I'm just not doing something I love. Yeah. yeah. But you get so far into it and you're, you're stuck. All too common, uh, you know. A lot of people ask me what they they should do, including my children. Actually, yeah. and I say, well, that's the wrong question. Yeah. The question is why, right? So search for your passion. What are you passionate about? Yeah, and uh, it's so easy, as you say, just to be drawn into that, so that that treadmill, and and find you know find yourself in your forties thinking, where did that go? In a flash, in a and flash. then you really can't move, right? And then and then you really are up against younger, cheaper people, and there does come a time when. Like getting into television, you know, there is a way of getting into television, and I think to, the horrible truth is that, is that youth is quite important yeah. to that story. Yeah. And there's a difference between a 23-year-old running on a set and bringing cups of tea to people like me, and that being a way into an industry, and a 45-year-old doing it. There's a slight yeah. tragedy to that yeah. somehow, and it and it's just. Is that true in front of the camera as well as behind the camera? I, you know, I think, look, there will always be people that come to all sorts of businesses late in life, but on, on the whole, my advice is have the courage to try and find that thing when you're young. Yeah. And 
when I say young, I mean like you're all of your 20s and your early 30s, but have the courage to change. Yeah. But life is life and time is time and you can't change it. That's true. And there comes a point when it's tricky yeah. to change and kids and mortgages and all the usual bollocks of life. So I just really think that, you know, the biggest advice I give anyone who I love and who is sort of young with their life ahead of them is find your thing. Yeah. Think about it. Go do it. Go do it. Don't fall into things. And if yeah. you fall into something and it doesn't feel right, fall out of it. Mm. I think that's great Be advice. Be decisive. Though. I think that's great advice actually at any age, yeah. honestly, actually. You know, I, I think these days we're living longer lives, aren't we? Yeah. The world is changing so quickly and you've just got to continuously ask yourself that question. If it's not comfortable, try and change Move. it, right? Yeah. What have you got to lose? Right. Um, you know, perhaps uh, riskier and harder when you get older, but just as valuable, perhaps sure. more so. Right. So, what a wonderful uh, progressive uh, start to your career. You, you found your niche in comedy, yeah. and uh, then you really, you know, basically boarded your own rocket ship and took off, right? So, tell me about uh, how you met Ricky and how, how did the office come about? Yeah, I mean, there is no, once you get into the world of TV and, and comedy or any kind of thing, there is no real career path. Like, it's the opposite of an accountant who has to, or, you know, my family are all doctors who you know, exam, four years training, another exam, move up the ladder. You can move quickly or, or not move at all in lots of creative industries. and. Quite early on, I met Stephen Merchant, who was sort of a trainee with me in that comedy department in my early jobs. He was and a writer as well. He was a writer, and he, he was more interested in writing, I was more interested in producing. And he had a friend called Ricky Gervais, who was working at a radio station called XFM in those days. And, and towards the end of uh, Stephen's sort of traineeship, the BBC said to him, well, to finish off, you get X amount of money, it's not very much money, make a 10 minute film. Uh, can be about anything you want, and he he made it of his uh, friend Ricky Gervais, who was beginning a character who was at then called Sleazy Boss. Right, um, so sign of different times, and really it was quite a one note, very sort of it was that kind of classic lower middle management yeah. thing that David Brent became. Yeah, but it was quite narrow in its focus, and it was it was much more you know him sort of slightly. There's a scene in the beginning of the office where he's sort of interviewing a lady and he's sort of being a little bit lascivious. And it was a bit more of that. And from then, that I saw that and just fell in love with it. And I'd worked in a few offices in my time, but I had a very, sort of, I've always had a very acute sense and kind of a love of the mundane, of the mundanity of life, yeah. of the, of like, you know, we all do these certain things, these patterns that people who, you know, I made a show about people in supermarkets. You know, I, li I, li I like the mundane, I like the everyday and the, the melancholy really of, I guess what I've just been saying, people going to work every Monday morning and it not being what they love and then making a product that they don't care about and then having a boss who they would not wish to spend time with. Right and living for the weekends, and that's what The Office became. So it's a comic satire in a way, it's a commentary on life. And yeah, it's very much a satire of, you know, the character of Tim in The Office, you know, as the yeah. classic anti-hero, the man who's thrown away his life, who should have been doing something else. Um, and Dawn, and, and all of, we sort of, Ricky, Stephen and I started to talk about, you know, there are so many different types that are actually 
archetypes. You know, I'm sure they exist within this organization. The caricatures. The salesman, the, the receptionist, you know, the, the, the military nut who was Gareth, you know, and, yeah. and so on and so forth. And just the people zombie-like getting through their day in, in strip, under strip lighting and tile ceilings. Yeah. You know, and so that's really what the office became. And I think that's why it connected yeah, with people. Well, that and I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of actually everything that you've done, including the office. And there was nothing like it at the yeah. time. Right, you were not following any trend. Yeah, we were not. No, and and um, and I and I and I think that's also to do with youth because you know we all get set in our ways, and it's a real like you know now that I'm a little bit older, it's really important to kind of reset your brain and. Yeah. And w nobody was doing how we did it in the office. Yeah. People thought it was a real documentary. We kind of threw away the conventions of making television, the lighting, the big sets, the kind of the formality of it. Right. And the whole idea of it was that it felt a very fluid process yeah. so that those actors could be as naturalistic. You know, we would phone, you know, we would film rather actors at their desk, like stretching, eating an apple and like, just doodling a bit on their hand and we would shoot yeah. that. Yeah. We also filmed a photocopier just repetitively photocopying. <laughs> so talk me through your yeah. so you were the you were the producer yeah. and what so for those who aren't in the industry, explain what a day in the life or a week in the life of a producer looks like in that context. I think the producer in television is much more central to the process than perhaps a producer in film. I think film is a director's medium. But the producer is responsible for sort of casting it alongside the director. I mean, I guess you have overall responsibility. There's a very creative aspect to producing, which is you work on the scripts with the writers and you cast it. And then there's being across the sort of the back end of it and the organisation of it. And yeah. television is incredibly logistical. Yeah. You know, you've got a lot of people to be in one place highly drilled, ready to go at 7.45 a.m. every morning. Yeah. And, you know, there's a real sort of sergeant major aspect to making that run. Yeah. There's budgets, schedules, and you've got to deal with relationships with yeah. channels. Yeah. Because you've got to manage expectations. And one great thing about The Office, actually, just coming back to it, was there really was very little expectation on it. You know, right. we were really not watched that heavily. Bit of a roll of the dice. Some roll of the dice, we were yeah. low budget, we were new, and you know, fair play to the BBC for giving us that chance. Yeah. But it wasn't like, you know, oh we've got big stars here, we've put a lot of you know the marketing spend, it's gonna be billboards all over London. You know, it wasn't that. Yeah. It was the opposite. So it must have been shocking when it absolutely took off. Well it was slow. It was a slow well it was I say it was slow, it was both slow and very fast. Yeah. It, we certainly arrived with sort of zero fanfare. Um, but I, you know, really clearly remember um, it just not going away yeah. in people's minds and people talking to me about it more and more. Um, the BBC uh, rather cleverly repeated it. It went out over the summer. And then they repeated it just around BAFTA nomination time. Right. So when people were sitting down to think about what to nominate for a BAFTA, we were on air at that moment. And I think by then people knew it was scripted because I think people yeah. thought it was real. Yeah. And, you know, 
Gervais is sort of centrally brilliant and unequivocally brilliant performance in the middle was starting to get notices and it was starting to resonate so um, that was and then we won our, we, we did win the first um, uh, BAFTA and award. It was the first time I saw you you were on stage accepting a we were one on stage <laughs> and, and then the truth is we didn't stop winning for you for a few years yeah. how many did you get from you? well the, that show got they got three BAFTAs and then it, and it won and it won a Golden Globe mm-hmm. in American and we did the American version yeah. of The Office as well so it sort of became this thing and yeah at that point it kind of moved quickly yeah. um, and and you know what it was the first thing we'd all done so we didn't know unbelievable i probably should have stopped my career just then do you, out of interest did you actually film it in slough because that's where it's set right no so. we didn't we obviously we found we shot the title sequence and yeah. that round about the the blue building that comes up at the beginning in our uh, title sequence of shot in slough is now demolished we filmed it at teddington studios in okay. west london yeah. but strangely in office space at Teddington Studios. Okay, so not, we're, okay, we in a studio. So it, yeah. weirdly, it could have been any old office, but they had this wing that they were gonna that where they used to do their admin. I think they were about to knock it down. Yeah, and we said it'd be great to be near a studio for all the equipment. But yeah, so that's how, that's where we shot it. Also being knocked down. Well, for those who don't uh, live in London that might be watching or listening. Slough is sort of on the outskirts west of London. It's a bit of an industrial area. It's also got some very nice uh, parts of it and it's sort of a leafy countryside as well if you get out of it, but it's sort of ironically uh, industrial and uh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the point with it is it's Anywheresville. That's Anywheresville, the point. Right. exactly. Yeah, Anywheresville, exactly. Yeah. Anywheresville. Now, what I, what I love about this, I mean, um, most normal people would think, wow, that's, you know, that's my life's work. Um, but you've just built on that and gone on to bigger and better things ever since. And, and some of the work since then is, I think, even more remarkable and innovative and funny in a way. Um, you know, the IT crowd, cuckoo, people just do nothing. Stat, let's, flats. Stat, let's, flats. Talk, talk to me about that's your latest, right? Yeah. And we'll come back to people just doing nothing sure. because you're doing a film on that. Yeah. Staff Let's Flats. What's yeah. that about? Where did that come from? Yeah, Staff Let's Flats is it's it's written by this guy called Jamie Dimitri and he is Cypriot and I'm Egyptian by birth. And we were sort of talking about being second generation in his country and he just sort of talks about his father in that kind of lettings agency, you know, those kind of people, you know, the very opposite of Foxton's, you know, these kind of crappy high street, you know, they take you to see a flat and you're like, do you even have the keys to this flat? And you go in and there's like no walls, to, you know? <laughs> and he, you know, he's sort of, we were just talking about that kind of um, world and lots of people kind of, you know, especially in big expensive cities like London, like are very frustrated with the property here and yeah. spend their lives paying through the nose for these less than yeah. desirable so well so it felt like it had a resonance yeah. to me and again you know look he's a brilliant performer and we we sort of did this thing I it's kind of office based again and it, it was just nice to bring those types up to dates making fun of the mundane and a little bit again yeah. yeah but Jamie you know it's kind of um, built around the central performance and I, I love yeah. the second generation thing as well it speaks to me yeah yeah um and then people just do nothing um if you haven't seen it <laughs> find it um somewhere and, and look at it well it started on youtube it, right yeah uh, and it's absolutely 
absolutely brilliant and it is just again innovation and comedy talk to me about that and your latest project yeah well people just do nothing is used along as a sort of a, a model of like it it started they started putting clips up on their own on youtube um uh, i saw it i thought it was very funny it's set in a pirate radio station again you know slightly underrepresented group of world again the sort of the mundanity I'm sort of drawn to the same themes time and time again set in Brentford set in Brentford guys whose ambition far outstrips their talent <laughs> um, and you know again a brilliant bunch of performers and we started working on it and you know it's had a similar trajectory I guess to the office it started slowly it started to pick up fans, it's got some awards buzz, it went on and won a BAFTA. BAFTA, yeah. The guys have become famous and rich, they don't return my phone calls anymore, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, and it's been a really happy sort of thing. I love, I love helping make stars. Right. Working with famous people is a pain in the ass because they are, but helping people become famous is a pleasure. Right. You know, and it's, it's lovely to go on that kind of journey together. Yeah. So I'm very proud of people just do nothing, and and you know it got all the way to we we did five seasons on the BBC. Yeah. And uh, we started getting interest from film companies. I think I've seen all of them. Have you? The Great. And film. So tell tell me about their latest project. Yeah. Well, well, we we have just shot a film in Tokyo. Um, people just do nothing. Uh, Big in Japan, I think we might call it, or something more original. Um, but yeah, we've shot it. Uh, it's being edited. It's uh, being co-financed by people in this building, Universal Focus Features, uh, who are based here alongside Google. We will see how that goes. It's got a cinema release, we think, this autumn. Yep. We're editing it now. There's lots of work to do, but it feels funny. And I'm just immensely proud that, you know, this show has gone from sort of three minute clips on YouTube, sort of five seasons on the BBC, award stages, and now a movie. So that's, you know, the whole, you know, east to west of a show's trajectory. And that's, that's been great to be a part of. Well, amazing uh, segue into, uh, into uh, and good illustration of how these things can develop from, from YouTube clips up into a feature film. How have you found the TV and film industry change over the time that you've been in it? It's, it's, it's changing enormously and it's not changing. So I think the way in which we consume television is changing and you don't need me to run through, you know, video on demand and Netflix and Amazon and Apple and, and you guys and everything, people watching on their phones, etc. Non-linear watching, who sits down and, you know, who sits down and looks at a newspaper for what's on tonight anymore. I mean, when's the last time you did that? Mm -hmm. Certainly our kids will have never done that. Mm -hmm. So that's all changing. Once you switch on to Netflix, the BBC, Amazon, whoever, you've got to watch a TV programme and that making that TV programme is the same as it's ever been. You know, you want to have a hit, you want to engage people. The way we make television is pretty similar. The cameras have got smaller, mm -hmm. but uh, Mine's pretty small. Yours is really small. For it's anyone smartphone. For anyone watching this, the equipment is extremely cheap. Thank you. 
please thank send, you for pointing that please out. send money and let <laughs> you know that <laughs> donate no, link below no, very cheap some sort of kickstarter <laughs> um but you, you know that the cameras have got smaller but that you unfortunately we still need actors we still need writers yep they're not robots <laughs> they are you know it's absolutely a people person game i think maybe tv shows are a bit more internationally focused everyone wants a hit that can play abroad yeah. these days the world shrunk you know we now watch hbo shows we watch you know amazon as one platform internationally so it's less that there are less shows for individual markets especially in england as an english-speaking yeah. country yeah obviously so the craft of what i do is kind of the same as when i began my you know sit down with a talented writer right come up with good stories compelling real life stories yeah. brilliant actors to bring it to life smart people behind the camera that just hasn't changed right. strangely different at the point of consumption and the number of canvases i guess you have to work with right but what we deliver remains the same yeah and it actually you know uh, is so it's when people ask me that question like tv you know because the tv industry is changing very rapidly it is and yet when i go to work and sit behind my desk i do the same thing as I did when I was in my mid-twenties. It is and it isn't. It is and it isn't. So there's probably some um, people watching who are thinking about getting into t uh, TV or film, uh, or maybe some people wanting to pivot in that direction um, as phase two or three or subsequent phases. What advice would you give them, Ash? You know, it's, um, you, you kind of need to be under somebody's wing. It, it, you know, there's just a, truth of this the industry is trying to change a lot but it's really about personal contacts mm -hmm. and you have to find those personal contacts you've got a lot of people to shoot at and to aim at you know there are any number of production companies like mine there are any number of producers film companies you know there is a lot of people there's a lot of people trying to get into it mm -hmm. the most common way to this day remains work experience remains just try and get a foot in the door just trying to get a foot in the door you know, it's not fair because why should people be able to afford to work for free? Yeah. And I think our industry is trying to stop that as well. Yeah. You know, um, and they're aware that that self-selects a certain kind of person, yeah. which isn't right either. But um, whatever the mechanics of that is, getting in at, at the bottom, formal qualifications, less important. Less important, right. Bring your personality if it's a good one yeah um, and maybe experience experience uh experiment and, and gather a little you know college radio or whatever you were asked about honestly before. there is nothing stopping you know these days as you will know from your user generated content and people just do nothing began it there is nothing you don't people anyone watching this who thinks they have something a funny character you don't need my permission or my know-how nor my equipment to help you make that at least a taster tape, right? At least yeah. something to show. Yeah. You may not have the budget to get it on TV or that know-how, and that's where sort of inverted commas, professionals like me can help. But people can at least demonstrate what it is they want to do, you know, more yes. so than ever. Yeah.